I was talking to uh, Linda this morning uh, to see how her talk went and uh, trying to encourage her a little bit on how that talk went and she said she was thankful that I wouldn't have to preach tomorrow. So I guess the encouragement is a one-way street there. <laughs> she was trying to be nice to me. I'm twisting her words. She was trying to be nice and I'm twisting it for my own, my own ends. It is uh, so good to be able to see all of you this morning, and I just want you to know that I am very thankful to be given the privilege to speak to you at the ladies' conference. Uh, this is the first one that I've uh, finally gotten the call on, apparently. <laughs> I've been improving every year, and they allowed me to come up to the big leagues, but uh, seriously, it is, a, uh, it is a privilege to be able to speak to you. Uh, I am so thankful for the women in our church, uh, the way you serve, the heart that you have for Jesus. Uh, I'm thankful that we have a group full, uh, a church full of women who love God's Word. And you can have a conference called Flourishing in God's Word and it be something that's very well attended. Uh, so I'm very grateful to be able to speak to you and grateful for you and thankful to see all of your faces for uh, the conference like this. I want to start this morning in my talk by stating the obvious. We are not a people who like to wait. You don't like to wait, right? And as proof of that, you need look no further than Amazon Prime. I bet most of us are Amazon Prime members. Who here is subscribed to Amazon Prime? Okay, we're almost at 100%. There's a reason why, why Jeff Bezos is one of the richest people in the world. Because we send him our $99 a year so that we can buy $16,000 worth of packages <laughs> a year from him. With Amazon Prime, you get free shipping on most of the items that you buy. And on most of the items that you buy, you can get them in two days. So if you were to, if I was to reference a book this morning that, that I would recommend to you, you could pull your Amazon app up on your phone and you could probably have it delivered to you on Monday. And Amazon wants you to have some anxiety about how quickly you're going to get this package. Because whenever you put something in your cart, it immediately starts a little bit of a countdown timer, doesn't it? And that countdown timer says, hurry, order now so that you can get it by this time on Monday. Because if you don't order it now, you could have to wait until Tuesday. <laughs> and we ain't got time for that. But that's not enough. If you want to have that package tomorrow, you can pay extra and click that little box and Amazon will make sure that it shows up in your doorstep Sunday, tomorrow. And that's not enough. Amazon has been uh, uh, experimenting with drones because Amazon wants to get to the point that you put that thing in your basket and a drone delivers it to you that day. 
They already tried it once and they're still working on it and I don't know how any of that's going to work, but I can just imagine the sky filled with drones as we get our packages every day because we don't want to wait. All the messaging that we get in marketing, whether you're watching television commercials or things like that, every single restaurant that you probably eat at has an app now. And that commercial comes on and tells you, skip the line, order on the app. Because we can't be people who are driving through some line and waiting. We invented fast food and then decided that being able to drive through and have the food handed to you in your car isn't fast enough. I've got to be able to order it while I'm driving so that I can pull up and it be ready the moment I get there. Okay, I think I've made my point. We are not a people who like to wait. Now, I like instant gratification as much as the next person. And all the things that make our lives easier and faster, I like all of those things too. So I'm not against downloading the app so you can skip the line. And I want a drone to deliver me uh, whatever that thing is that I ordered. I want it to deliver me it to me that same day. But in all of this, Maybe I could put it wiring of ourselves for not having to wait for anything. All of this is training us. And the desire for instant gratification, I'm afraid, might create in us the expectation that everything should be like that. But there are some things that don't fit in an instant pot. There are some things in life that don't qualify for next day shipping. They don't qualify for next week shipping. They don't qualify for next year shipping. And here's my fear. <coughs> my fear is that because we in our culture are being wired to expect that instant gratification, there are all kinds of things that are good for us in life that we might avoid. And we might avoid those things because we can't have them now. The topic that I was given to speak on today is hope in God's word, hoping in God's word. And there are all kinds of ways that we could approach a topic like hoping in God's word. I, I, could, I could ask the question, why should we hope in God's word? And we would have a profitable time together this morning answering all the reasons why we have reason to hope in God's word. Or I could ask a question like, how do we hope in God's word? And this could be a, a how-to session on several ways that we can better orient ourselves so that we can hope in God's word. That would be a profitable way to spend our time as well. But this morning, I'd like to ask a different question, and that different question is this. What does it look like to hope in God's word? What does it look like? If you could paint a picture of it, 
What does it look like? And I'd like to answer that question, what does it look like to hope in God's word with a poem and a case study? We're going to briefly, very briefly look at the poem. We're going to spend a little bit more time on the case study. And then we're going to see if we can draw some of those things together. So what does it look like to hope in God's word? Let's start with the poem. The poem is found in Psalm 130. And in Psalm 130, I'd like to read just two verses of this poem. Psalm 130, verses (coughs) 5 and 6. Excuse me if I cough a lot. Got attacked this week with the stuff that's going around. Psalm 130, verses 5 and 6. This is what God's word says. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. What does it look like to hope in God's word? We may not like the answer very much, but hoping in God's word looks a lot like waiting. The one thing we don't want to do. Hoping in God's word, the Bible says in this inspired scriptural poem, hoping in God's word looks a lot like waiting. And there's no app to skip the line. But this psalm tells us that if I have hope in God's word, then my soul is going to wait more than watchmen wait for the morning to come. Now, put yourself in the situation of a watchman in this context. It's hard for us to imagine a world where artificial light doesn't exist, except if you have a candle or a big bonfire going. And so as your, as your village, as your town, as your city goes to sleep for the night, there are watchmen on the wall, and those watchmen can't see much more than two or three feet in front of them if there isn't a full moon in the sky. They don't have ring doorbells. They don't have motion-activated sensors for lights. They can't strike up a strike up a, a torch or something and still have much visibility. So you've got watchmen sitting out on the wall trying to make sure that the, that the town is safe. And you can imagine that, that as the sun sets and the darkness sets in and they start getting more and more cold as, as the night progresses, that the clock probably just seems to crawl. 
and you're hearing things crackle or crunch out in the woods and you're wondering if that is perhaps an enemy or perhaps it's an animal, large or small. And so you have all kinds of people that are stationed to watch and to wait. Now this waiting certainly isn't passive. It's not simply sitting and kicking your heels back or putting your feet up. A watchman is vigilant. A watchman is listening. A watchman has rounds to walk and things to do. But still, their job looks a lot like waiting. There are two things that are certain in a watchman's mind. The first is that morning is definitely coming. That's one of the metaphors that the Bible uses to describe God's faithfulness. We know that there are a lot of uncertain things in life, but the one, one thing that is certain in life that you can count on is the sun is going to come up. The cycle is going to continue. So one thing that the watchman knows for certain is that morning is definitely coming. There's a second thing the watchman knows for certain. He can't make morning come any faster than it's going to come. There is not a single thing he can do to make that sun rise faster than it's going to rise. So the morning is definitely coming. And it's going to come when it comes, and you're not going to make it come any faster than it's going to come. Hoping in God's word looks a lot like waiting. That's the poem. But let me flesh this out a little bit more for you <coughs> and look at it with a case study of a real live flesh and blood person. This person's name is Sarah. We've been talking about Sarah a little bit in our Genesis series, and I was going to talk about Sarah uh, this morning when this morning was actually going to be at the end of last year during hurricane season. And so weirdly, this talk is going to sync up with what I preach on next Sunday. So you're getting a little bit of sneak preview, but you still have to come to church next Sunday. Okay, it doesn't work like that. But allow me, if you will, to try to bring Sarah to life a little bit for you. One of the things that I'm constantly thinking when I read Bible stories is that where we don't look at these people as people. They're two-dimensional versions of people set up to make a bigger point. But they were real people that had real lives before God. They were people like you, me. Now, the first time we meet Sarah is in Genesis 11, and this is the way she's introduced to us in verses 29 and 30. The Bible says, And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now, Sarai was barren. She had no child. Now, it's darkly, I sometimes have a dark sense of humor, it's darkly amusing here to me that 
the only description that's given for Sarai is the one thing she can't do. I mean, how would you like to be introduced by the one thing that you can't do? This, I'd like you to meet Cindy. She's, uh, she's lactose intolerant. That's it. That's the only thing we're going to tell about her. Not the fact that she started her own business or that she's got three grandchildren or that she's an attorney. No, she's, she's lactose intolerant. You wouldn't want to be described by something that you lack. You wouldn't want to be described by something that's very important to you that you aren't able to have. Particularly if that thing was a source of bitter disappointment to you or resentment. But this is obviously a crucial detail. There's a reason why we need to know this in Sarai's story. And of course, many of you are familiar with the Bible and know why. But let me try to flesh out her life to you in a little bit more detail. Let me see if I could bring her to life for you. Because Sarah is not just a woman, like many other women, women even in our day, struggling with infertility. Sarah is gorgeous. She's the kind of woman who walks into a room and turns heads. And when I say she's gorgeous, she's not, honey, you're beautiful to me, gorgeous. Okay? Let's be real. She's objectively gorgeous. She's, I need to tell the Pharaoh of Egypt, that this woman exists so that she can be with him, gorgeous. Okay, she's a beautiful woman. Sarah is wealthy. She's the kind of woman that carries a Fendi bag wherever she goes. She's the kind of woman that has the black Amex with no limit, that she can go wherever she wants and she can spend whatever she wants. And she doesn't have to think about it. Sarah is a woman who's got personality. Sarah is in no way a doormat. She's a person like you. She's got opinions. She's got thoughts. She's got desires. She's got a way that she wants this to go. She's a woman who has personality. She's She's not afraid to speak her mind to her husband. She's not afraid to tell her husband what she thinks that they ought to do. She's the kind of woman who's not afraid to eavesdrop on her husband's conversations to get the details of what exactly is going on here. Sarah's got a little bit of a mean streak in her. She can be a little vindictive. We know from the Hagar incident, which we're going to talk about in just a few moments, that when that, all find, when, it, when that all comes out, she decides that she's going to be mean and take out her anger on her maidservant. So she can be a little vindictive. Sarah's like the rest of us. She's got difficulties in her life. She's got a husband who has personal conversations with God. Think about that. Think about how hard that would be to have a husband who goes off and talks to God and then comes back and tells you what, you, what we're going to do. Like, what card do you play 
to argue with that. You're not even privy to the conversations. She's a woman who has been uprooted from her family, her friends. She's moved a thousand miles away, which in that culture might as well be a million miles away. And she's not going to go home and visit her mom at Christmas. She's not going to FaceTime her sister on her birthday. They're gone. Probably never see them again gone. She's got money. She's got looks, but she doesn't have the one thing she wants. The looks and the money don't make up for the fact that she desperately wants the child that she can't have. Is she coming to life for you a little bit? You know people like this. She's probably lonely. She's probably got marriage issues, given the way her husband was so quick to throw her to Pharaoh to save his own life. And she carries this hurt with her in a world where there are no fertility clinics. There's no way to even begin to figure out what exactly is wrong and how to fix it. You've got women in your life, or maybe you are one of those women who has struggled with fertility. And even those who haven't had that pain have known their own pains and bitter disappointments of the things that you desperately want and don't have. And so you just carry those things throughout your life. So Sarah is a woman who, from one perspective, has it all from another perspective, has nothing. So in short, Sarah's a person like you. Imagine the first time Abraham relayed his conversation with God to her. I can imagine him coming home from work and setting his laptop down and saying, Honey, we're, re we're relocating. For work? Not exactly. Where are we going? I'm not sure. And by the way, we're Jewish now. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know it wasn't a thing yet. <laughs> but these are the kind of like quick moves that they're making. Abraham is 75 years old. And we know from the Bible that Sarah is 10 years younger than her when this starts. So she's 65. So even though the, the lifespans of them were considerably longer than they are today, she is, she's not a young woman. My apologies to those 65 years old and up. So she moves a thousand miles away with a promise from her husband when she's 65 years old that they're going to have children. And then she waits a decade. Leaves everybody. 65 years old. Clock's ticking now. And waits. A decade. What were you doing a decade ago? You were probably a completely different person a decade ago. She waits a decade. 
for the promise of God's word to come true. And now she's 75, and I tried to bring her to life to you. She's, she's not this person to just lie down and be walked on. And so Sarah, de- Sarah makes a decision that she's going to grab this bull of promise by the horns, and she's going to make this happen herself. She's not going to be passive about this. And so in a, a, a very famous in, uh, incident, she tells her husband that he's going to have to go ahead and sleep with her servant so that she can have a child through her. Now, that has bad idea written all over it. But it's not as strange to them as it sounds to us. Okay, it sounds to us when we read that of like, what were you thinking? Who would do that? Well, in the ancient Near East at that time, everybody did that. That was a very normal practice, regardless of the morality of it, a very normal practice for having children in a time when there are no fertility clinics and there are no other options. That was how, that was how you went about it. But see, there's consequences to decisions like that. So when Hagar gets pregnant and has this child through Abraham, every birthday of this child is the anniversary of a reminder of what Sarah doesn't have. And not only is it, a, is it a yearly reminder of what it doesn't have, it's a yearly reminder to her of who does have it. You can, you can see how that would bring about a bitterness in her. So she's waited a decade for this promise to come true. Then Hagar has a child, and the Bible tells us that Ishmael, this son, grows up to be 14. 14. So now we're at 24 years. Where is she now, age-wise? She's 89. Since there's been this promise, if you leave your, your country and your kindred, and you go to this land that I'm not going to tell you totally where it is, you're going to have a child, and I'm going to turn that child into a nation that blesses all the nations, and kings are going to come from you, and all this fabulous stuff, right? But I'm 89, and the knife just gets turned. Every year, Ishmael has a birthday. Well, at 89 years old, she and her husband are paid a visit by three men who turn out to be angelic messengers. And hospitality is very important in this day, so they quickly spring into action to make sure that uh, a meal is prepared, that these people are given Middle Eastern hospitality the way it was meant to be given. And after the meal is over and their guests have eaten, one of these messengers delivers a message from the Lord to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 18 and verse 10, the Bible says, And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. We've heard that before. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. I love this story because this is so real life. 
You can imagine them sitting there, and she's, you know, bringing stuff out and handing it out and then stopping just inside so she can make sure she can hear this whole conversation that's going on. And when she hears at 89 years old, the promise that she's now heard for going on 25 years, the Bible tells us this in verses 11 and 12. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years, the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. She's past childbearing years. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? I mean, she's basically saying, Do you guys know how old we are now? He's a hundred. That's done. She's a real person, like you. And this promise of God seems preposterous, like it would to any of us. So she laughs, like you would do, and like I would do. And here's the funny thing of the story. She gets called out for it. Verse 13 of Genesis 18, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? She's eavesdropping, I know. Why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? You would think of all the, of all the things the angelic messengers have to talk about on this afternoon as they've been, this day has been going on, going on, calling out Sarah for having a little bit of a snicker behind the tent flap is probably the least of concerns, but they're not going to let it go. Okay? Hey, why'd she laugh? And, and the Bible says in verse 15 when they call her out on it, but Sarah deny it, denied it saying, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. <laughs> we have a joke at, at my house. I, whenever I read this in my Bible reading plan, I always tell Erica, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible because it's just, <laughs> she laughs. They know she did it. They confront her. She says, I didn't laugh. And they're like, no, but you did. <laughs> We're not letting this go. You laughed. We know it. We all know it. I love that part of the story. But here's the thing. The messenger's word comes true. And a year later, at the nice young age of 90, Sarah finally has a son, and they name him Isaac, which means he laughs. Isn't that great? That's why I like, these, that's why I like these, these stories to come to life a little bit. Why I like them to become real people. Because, because they named him, he laughs. And every time they're going to say his name, they're going to do the same thing we laughed. Hey, remember that time you were eavesdropping behind the thing and you said you weren't doing it and I was right this time? Okay, they, they did stuff like that, I'm sure. But they named him, he laughs, because Sarah says in chapter 21 and verse 6, Sarah said, God has made laughter for me, for everyone who hears will laugh over me. I don't think she's saying everyone else is going to laugh at me, but everyone who hears this is going to laugh at what God does. 
keeping his promises when it seems like it's just not going to happen and there's just no way. So it took 25 years for God's word to come true from the time he made that promise. Sarah had probably been waiting some 45 years before that. Not with a promise, but just the desire. So what does it look like to hope in God's word? It looks a lot like waiting. Now, God had made a very specific promise to her. And I could really bring this talk home and get everybody all jazzed up by saying, what's the one thing you want in life that matters to you most that you don't have right now? You could have that thing come into your mind and I could say, just keep waiting. And God will deliver it. But I'm not going to say that because I don't know. God had specifically delivered a promise to her that she was going to have a son. So she had God's word on something that she was definitely going to have. None of us can say with any certainty about the thing that you desperately want in your life. None of us can say with any certainty that you're, def that you're definitely going to have that if you just wait long enough and just believe for it long enough. If you manifest it, if you put it on your, put it on your, uh, your, your mirror in the bathroom, if you just believe for it enough, it'll come. I mean, that sounds great, but it, it doesn't matter because it, it's, it's not real. God may give you that thing. But he may not. What I can say to you is this. God has made some very specific promises to you. The Bible is full of them. The Bible speaks of you as already having been sanctified. It speaks of it in the past tense. Which means that you are definitely going to become exactly like Jesus. Now you can hear that standing behind the tent flap and laugh. <laughs> sure, okay. I've been a Christian for 45 years now, and I am this much more like Jesus, I feel, than when we started this. God has made promises he is never going to leave you or forsake you. God has made specific promises that if you call out to him, if you cry out to him with prayer and supplication, he will keep your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. God has made promises like one day you are going to finally lay aside this body that you have for a resurrection body that doesn't have all of the defects that this body has. I mean, I could go on and on and on with the promises that God has definitely given you in Scripture. And one of the things that we need to do as followers of Jesus is reorient ourselves to the things that we may get and fix our attention more on the things that we'll definitely get. Because sometimes we're focused on the things that we want 
We forget about the things that we've been promised that are as good as ours. And God has made all sorts of specific promises to you. But here's the problem. When we find ourselves waiting for God's word to come true, especially living in a download the app and skip the line culture, the longer time drags on, the more we lose hope. And when we lose hope in God's word, there are two main directions that we can go, two directions that our heart goes. One of those directions is desperation, and one of those directions the other way is despair. When I'm waiting for what God has promised, and I'm not getting it, and I'm not getting it, and I start to lose hope, I go to either desperation or despair, and we can see both of those directions in Sarah's life. In desperation, we take matters into our own hands. We make deals. We manipulate. We coerce. We beg, we plead, we roll up our sleeves to make it happen. And we think we are helping God do God's work. We fooled ourselves into thinking that we are helping with God's work when in fact our deeds do not come from faith, but a desperation that maybe God's not going to bring this about and it's up to me to do it. There are examples all through scripture of people who are told to wait on the Lord, and yet it seems like he's not going to come through, and so they turn to desperation, and they try to make it happen themselves. And there are all kinds of things like that in our own lives. Women who are married to a man who is not a Christian, or at least certainly doesn't act like a Christian, and I, I hear the Bible's telling me to, to be patient and to, to win him without a word, but it's been six months, so words are happening. <laughs> now, I don't mean to make light of a woman in that situation. Because... We want a great story. Hey, I waited, and a year later. But a year can turn into a decade, and a decade can turn into two decades. And before you know it, you're 89. So I think we're going to have to do it on our own. Okay, so we can turn to desperation. Are there things in your life where, whether explicitly or without even thinking about it, you have made the determination, hey, receiving this promise God's way is, is not happening fast enough, or it's, it's not happening the way I want it to, and so we're going to do this our way now. The other direction, of course, as I said, is despair. Despair is the complete opposite of desperation because despair is giving up. Despair is the complete loss of hope. 
Despair is the bitter laughter behind the tent flap of, I've heard preachers telling me this my whole life. And I'm too old to believe it anymore. Despair is, it hurts too much to hope. So I'm done with hope. When God's promises aren't happening on our timetable, we don't have to go to either desperation or despair. Rather, we wait in faith because our hope is in God's word. And God's word never fails. There is not one recorded instance in the entirety of scripture that God has said something will happen and it has not happened. God is not shooting a good 75 or 80 percent on his predictions or his promises. He is shooting a thousand percent every single time and he's not going to miss with you. He is not going to fail to deliver to you every single promise in Christ that he has given. And if our focus is not on the things that he has promised to us and on the things that we don't have control of and we don't know about, then we're going to miss that. How would you evaluate on a, on a grading scale, what letter grade would you give to Sarah's faith? Think about it for a minute. I would have to give her a solid C+. Not fail. She, she moves. She leaves everything. She's holding on to the promise. So I, I'd probably give her a solid C plus. Certainly not, certainly not stellar. Listen to how the Bible evaluates it in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 11. The Bible says, By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful, who promised. Not one of those missteps get a mention. Let me tell you why that ought to encourage you. Because Sarah was a real person, like you. So if you're to grade your faith, you might be even harder on yourself than a C plus. Because all we can see is our failures. All we can see is our faithlessness. But when the scriptures, the divinely inspired scriptures, look back on her life, they say, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Her story 
is not a story of unwavering faith that never falters from start to finish. Yet she waits for 25 years and God's promises to her finally come true. And that could be said of your life. Not perfect faith. Hope lost. Despair at times. Manipulation. Coercion. Bargaining at other times. But this is the walk of all of God's people. We're all like this. The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter, or Romans chapter 8. The end of verse 24 and the beginning of verse 25. It says, now hope that is seen is not hope. So, if you've got the thing that you desperately want, you don't have to have hope because it's right there in front of you. But the Christian life is full of unseen, unrealized things that we're hoping for. Full of them. So hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And we know based on Romans chapter 8 that you and I, along with this whole creation, are groaning, awaiting gospel hope. It's a hope that's alive because Jesus is alive. It's a hope that comes to us because the Christ who died for our sins and rose after three days is going to deliver to us every single gospel promise he has made. So what do you do when there is no Amazon Prime version, no Instant Pot version of the promises of God's word? You wait. We hope. We trust. We stand in the wall like watchmen, waiting for the morning to come. You can't make it come any faster than it's going to come. But, ladies, the morning is coming. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. Let's pray. Lord, a message like this and a subject like this is no doubt a difficult one to hear because we are real people with real hurts and real disappointments and real desires. And none of us can say for certain the bits and pieces that you have worked out in the plan for our lives. But one thing we can say for certain is that your word is full of promises that you are going to deliver on. 
And so I pray that you would help us to wait with hope for the morning to come. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.